We are at the end of our Acts groups, and I cannot quite believe it. We've spent the last eight weeks in these Acts groups talking about what I've come to call the Holy Seas. Holy connection, holy calm, holy clarity, and now session four has been about holy creativity. And these four holy seas came from Jason. He used them to describe what he wanted to experience during his sabbatical and what he was hoping that we as a church would experience here while he was on sabbatical. So when he came to my office and we sat down together and he said, okay, Andrea, we need to plan out what's going to happen for the sabbatical. And I want you to you know, figure out how we can help the church engage in holy connection, holy calm, holy clarity, and holy creativity. I said, holy cow. How, how are we going to do all this? And now here we are at the end of it. Our Acts groups ends today. You've got one more chance to hit session four, and that's today at 4 p.m. And this Acts sermon series only has three more weeks, three more weeks of Acts, three more weeks of the Broadway songs, and then we're on to the next season. And my hope for us whether it's through a sermon that we've heard or something that we've experienced during those Acts groups, is that we will remember and follow. That we will remember those things that God started stirring in us this summer, both individually and congregationally, and then that we would follow. Follow where the Spirit is leading. Follow that crazy idea or that weird stirring or that thing that's, that's latching onto us that we just can't seem to let go of. This is actually what session four has mostly been about, following God into holy creativity. And oof, I know that word, creativity, right? I know some of us, when we hear that word, think, yes, I am a creative person, bring on the creativity. And others of are like, yeah, no, don't sign me up for creativity. That's not, that's not part of what I do. But I think that we have a limited definition of creativity. Usually when we think of this, we think it just means artsy or crafty, and it calls to mind ideas of whittlers or songwriters or scrapbookers. My grandmother was one of these creative people. She made her living as an artist, mostly working with watercolors. And I remember the chaos of her studio, wherever she had decided to set up studio in her house. There was always a painting on an easel that was in some state of being finished. There were watercolor splashes in various colors all over the place. She had tons of plastic cups filled with brushes of every shape and every size. And I remember when you'd talk to her, she had these long fingernails and she would just sit there and scratch all the paint off of her hands because she just always had paint all over her hands from her work. She is what I think of when I think of a creative person. But she was also creative in another way. My mom tells stories of how she and her sisters never quite knew what to expect when they would get home because like one day they, come home, they came home from school and there was a new bathroom in their house that her mom had built that day while they were at school because she decided they needed a second bathroom. Uh, one time, there was a time when my mom and her two sisters were sharing a room, and I get the impression that it was kind of a long room that they all three were in, and they came home from school, and that one room had been turned into three individual rooms. My grandma just decided to build two walls that day while they were at school. This kind of creativity, this different way of thinking, is really akin to what we're talking about when we talk about holy creativity. It's a broader definition. It's 
thinking outside the box. It's, it's looking for new ways to do the old things. It's looking for creative solutions to the typical problems. And it's what Paul did in our story today. And in fact, I don't just see holy creativity. I see all of our holy sees in this story with Paul today. And it starts with holy connection. But we didn't actually read about that part because in these chapters leading up to what we read in verse 18, chapter, chapter 16 specifically tells us that Paul and his traveling companions were trying to go to various places to share the gospel. They tried to go to Asia, but the Spirit told them no. And then they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit blocked them. These are the words of the scripture. And then Paul has a dream of a man from Macedonia asking them to come help. And Paul realizes that God is calling them to go to Macedonia. This is Paul living his life with holy connection. He is awake and attuned to the work of the Spirit and the work of God. Even when the work of the Spirit is telling him, no, Paul, that's not the right direction. No, Paul, don't go there either. This is the one I want you to go. Paul was connected with God and he was able to hear it and to listen. So the result of this holy connection is that Paul finds himself in the town of Corinth and he meets a Jewish couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Are, the, are those names familiar to us? We're familiar with this couple. They ended up being kind of like a superstar power couple for Jesus after they encountered Paul. Um, I need to pause for a sec because I need to tell you all this story. My husband is also a minister. He works at a different church in Kansas City. But when we, when we were first in ministry, we worked at a church together. And our pastor one day was talking to me about something and he said, my goodness, you and Aaron are kind of like Priscilla and Aquila. And that's okay. That's a great compliment, right? Except I got confused when he said that. And I thought he was saying that we were like Ananias and Sapphira. Are you, are, are we familiar with the story? There's another kind of obscure Christian couple in the, in the earliest chapters of the book of Acts, who's a couple who are part of the early church. And it's during the time when the, when the early church was selling everything they had and sharing it collectively. And Ananias and Sapphira had a field that they sold, but they kept some of the money back for themselves and only gave some of it to the church. So when Ananias comes in to give the money, Peter's like, is this everything? And Ananias is like, uh, yes. And Peter's like, the spirit is telling me that you're lying. And then Ananias like keels over and just dies just right there. And then the same thing happens to his wife three hours later when she comes and she lies. And this is who I thought the pastor was saying that Aaron and I were like, and I thought, did we remember to tithe this month? Like what, why is he saying he was really not like us very much? Anyway, when I realized that he was talking about Priscilla and Aquila, I felt a little bit better and I felt like we could continue this relationship. So Paul is in Corinth and he's living with Priscilla and Aquila and immediately he starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. And this is his usual pattern. When he gets to a new town, the first thing he does is go to the synagogue and he starts preaching there. And he usually stays there for about three or four weeks and then he moves on to the next town and the next synagogue. And Acts chapter 16 and 17 are filled with stories that tell us that this was a really effective strategy. Everywhere Paul went, the Bible tells us that many Jews and many Greeks were believing in Jesus and were starting to form a church. That everywhere Paul went, this pattern of going to the synagogue first and preaching for three or four Sundays, or Saturdays I guess in that case, was really effective. Until now. Until he gets to Corinth. 
And by the time he gets here, by the time Paul, Timothy, and Silas join him, the scripture tells us that he has devoted all of his time to preaching Jesus and that he is becoming opposed and reviled by the people in the synagogue. His typical patterns aren't working. And eventually, Paul has had enough. He very dramatically shakes the dust off of his clothes and off of his feet. And he says, I am done. I've tried. You aren't listening. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he leaves. And I think this is where Paul experiences our second holy sea, which is holy calm. Doesn't that sound like it to you? Actually, it sounds like some of the holy calm that I experienced when my husband's like, Andrea, calm down. And I'm like, I am calm. Everything's fine. I can imagine Paul storming away from the synagogue and Silas and Timothy are like, Paul, it's okay. Calm down. He's like, I am calm. Let's go. We're going to the Gentiles. So maybe this is one of the holy seas that Paul didn't quite get. Or maybe he just didn't get it quite yet. Later in this story, after Paul has made this seemingly rash decision to leave the synagogue and only go to the Gentiles, Paul again, I mean, God again speaks to Paul in a dream. And God reminds Paul of one of the key assumptions that we hold as followers of Christ and the very first axiom that we talked about in our Acts groups, which is that God is always present and at work. God is always present and at work. God tells Paul not to be afraid and to keep speaking because, and I quote, I am with you. I am present with you, so you do not need to be afraid. I am present with you, so take a deep breath. Calm down. Holy calm. And then God says, there are many in this city who are my people. God reminds Paul or maybe reveals to Paul for the first time that the Spirit of God has been working in ways that Paul never realized. He was following his typical pattern of going to the synagogue first, and that was not working. But God reminds him in this vision, I have many people in this city. The Spirit has been at work in other places, in other ways. Many people in this city. From Paul's limited perspective, it might have seemed like this was not a place where God was at work at all. And yet, God is always present and always at work. And there were many people in this city that were gods. And God says, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't stop. Keep speaking. I think this was Paul's moment of holy clarity where Paul realized that the Spirit is, in fact, at work. Something is happening, and he was being invited to participate in it. This was God's invitation to Paul. Sometimes we feel like we have to force things to happen, and we're tight-fisting, and if it doesn't happen, we do what Paul did, and we just say, I'm done. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. But God's way is this middle path where God is working, and we are invited to participate. So we come at it with kind of these open hands and say, okay, God, how do you want me to participate in this? And that's what Paul was, that's what God was inviting Paul to do. So it started with holy connection. Paul being awake and attuned to the movement of the Spirit in his life and around him. And then it went in the midst of the frustration and the fear. It eventually became holy calm when Paul remembered that God is always present and at work. And that moment of holy calm afforded Paul some holy clarity that God was not only working, but was inviting Paul to be a part of it. And in telling Paul to keep speaking, God was reminding him 
You do not have to control everything. Take a step back, look at what's around, and come with me. Come participate with the work of the Spirit in this new city. And do you know what Paul did? He listened and he followed. And this is what led to that fourth holy sea, holy creativity. Within our broader definition of creativity, Paul broke his usual patterns. He always proclaimed the gospel in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stopped doing that. He always stayed in the towns for just about three or four weeks, and he stopped doing that. In Corinth, he stayed for a year and a half. And obviously, it was something powerful because we get evidence of the church that was formed during his time there because we have the letters that he wrote to them. After he left, we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians in our scripture, which Paul wrote to this church that was being formed during the year and a half that he was there. That's pretty cool. I don't know if Paul realized it at the time, but his dust-shaking, foot-stomping, passionate huffiness was actually the beginning of God's holy creativity in his life. His statement that from now on he was just going to go preach to the Gentiles, that wasn't just a temper tantrum. It was a drastic reversal of everything he had ever done before. It was a moment of great creativity, a moment that said, this thing isn't working anymore. This typical pattern of behavior no longer feels life-giving. It's time for us to try something new. It's time for some creativity. Even once Paul had calmed down, even when he had experienced that clarity that God was at work in the city, he didn't go back to his usual patterns. He didn't say, okay, okay, God, you're right. I shouldn't have lost my temper. I ca I'm calm now. Everything's okay. I'll go back and I'll keep preaching to the synagogue. No, all of this still led to the creativity. Paul said, okay, I'll calm down. I remember who you are and what you're doing, and I'm going to go with it. And he continued to go into a new thing. He continued down the new pathway that God presented for him in this moment of holy clarity and holy creativity. So here's my question for us today. What's frustrating you? Is there anything about our world, about our community that makes you just want to shake the dust off your clothes? Is there anything that feels heavy, that feels like a burden that you're carrying, that you wish were different? That might be a starting point for holy creativity. What about us personally? What efforts in our lives are just no longer working? What patterns of behavior are no longer doing good work for us? What patterns of thought are no longer doing good work for us? Maybe that's a point and a starting point for God's holy creativity. When we offer these things to our God who is always present and who is always at work, we say, what would you have me do with this? What would you have me do with these things that I'm realizing are no longer serving me well, are no longer doing good work in my life or in this world? We know we can't control it. We know you don't just want passive sit back. God is inviting us to participate in God's spirit work in this world. And so we hold that out to God with this compassionate curiosity. We say, okay, God, what would you have us do? What is the holy creativity that you want to invite us into? We know that God is always present and has already been at work. So what would you have us do here? And then we listen for God's creativity. And then we follow it like Paul did.
even if it seems a little out there, like Paul's was. Wait, not ever going back to the synagogues? Wait, staying here for a year and a half? This was not what we're used to. It probably felt unreasonable to Paul. It was something brand new. And yet, God called him and he followed it. Like I said earlier, this is my hope and my prayer for all of us as a church and as individuals. That we would remember what God has started stirring up in this season. And that even as summer winds down and we gear up for the fall, my prayer is that we would remember and that then we would follow Follow where the Spirit is leading. Follow that crazy idea or that internal stirring or that thing that keeps burdening us that won't let us go. As Jonathan comes up to sing our Broadway song for the day, I invite you as you listen to this well-known and well-loved song to ask yourself these questions. What is that thing for you? That idea or that stirring or that burden or that thing you're wondering about. What is that for you that God might be using to bring out some holy creativity? I hope you remember. And if you remember, then follow, follow, follow.